Father in heaven, we thank you for, for this amazing day, this amazing place, and uh, this amazing community of faith that gathers in this place. Lord, we want to talk about freedom today, and I ask that you will, you will speak to both our minds and our hearts, because true freedom must be found in both places. Help us that we will have understanding in our minds and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been in John 8 for a little bit, and let me say my appreciation to Mark Johnson for last Sabbath, for the remarkable work he did with the first part of chapter 8. You'll remember we skipped over that uh, uh, several weeks ago, the last time I spoke. I guess it was just two weeks ago, wasn't it? It Just so much has happened in those two weeks. It feels like about a month and a half. But uh, we talked about, we kind of started in verse 12, and we worked our way down to verse 30 in John chapter 8 on the promise that Mark was going to go back and take care of the story in the first part, which I think he did a great job on last Sabbath, and I appreciate his words very much on that. So thank you for your words there. But today we want to go on with John 8, and I had originally thought we would go ahead and finish out the chapter, but as I got looking at it more and more, I said, we just can't do that, because there is a concept here that we need to explore, and it's central to what Jesus is saying in this chapter though it in and of itself is not the main point that he will make at the end of the chapter. So for us to spend the time we needed on this point and still try to make the other, we'd have been going for about two hours, and I don't have that kind of energy. So, so I decided let's break it into two pieces here, and because we're still at least within a week of the 4th of July, a sermon entitled Freedom is not entirely inappropriate. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to work through a section in the middle of John chapter 8. And it begins in verse 31 with these words. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, a couple things to notice here. The first... The first part of this is his statement, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said. Now, you know as we've been working our way through the book of John, this theme continues to come up about the confusion about who Jesus is and the difficulty people are having in deciding who this guy really is. We have identification that comes to us when we read the first chapter that he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. We have the words at the end of the book that say the whole purpose of this book is so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So the whole issue throughout this whole book is this struggle to recognize and understand who Jesus is. And in fact, you get to the end of the section right before this, Uh, Verse 30 says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. So Jesus is speaking, and many are starting to believe in him. But we also know there was a point where everybody was really excited about him, but he intentionally pushed them away. You remember that story? He feeds the 5,000, then they come, and they want to make him king by force. But Jesus says, no, that's not how my kingdom works. 
He sent them away, and then he went further. He offended many of them. So we talked about, Jesus, what are you doing? You're not accomplishing the mission that I think you should accomplish. And Jesus said, I'm sent on a mission from God. It may be hard for you to understand, but the challenge for you is to believe in me even when you don't understand. Well, so here we are again now. And many are believing in him. And so to them, verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So there's some connections here. Jesus is saying, I am teaching you things. These things are truth. If you hold to them and live according to them, you will be free. We're going to develop that idea, but before we do, let's keep working through this interaction. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Well, first of all, um, I kind of feel like there's this story back here in Exodus about them being slaves in Egypt. I, you know, I don't want to be too technical here, but... But to make that statement, we were never slaves of anyone, I kind of wonder where they're coming from there. And maybe I give them the benefit of the doubt and they say they're talking about right now, but wait a minute, aren't they constantly complaining about the Romans? So I don't know what in the world they're doing with that. But maybe you found yourself in that scenario. You're, you're kind of in a dispute with someone and you actually know that they're right, but you don't want to give in to it. You've never been there, right? That's just me. And you start saying stuff that's just dumb. Yeah, we won't spend any more time on that. Verse 34, Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now it's interesting here. He doesn't go back and say, well, no, you're wrong on that. You were slaves here and you had that whole Babylon thing. Maybe you remember that. And now the Romans. He doesn't do that. He actually takes it deeper. Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So we're back to this idea of freedom. And Jesus is saying, no, there is a deep slavery going on, and it is a slavery to sin. But I have come to set you free. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. Now, Jesus here is setting up a point. He's going to this topic of, of who their father is. He says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet your behavior suggests something different. You're trying to kill me. Abraham is our father, they say. Now, this is actually... A, a very interesting point here, because sometimes 
We want to associate ourselves as righteous by affiliation. Do you know what I mean by that? Because I belong to the right group, therefore I am righteous. And so they're saying, we are descendants of Abraham, therefore we are righteous. We can fall into that same trap. We can assume ourselves righteous by affiliation. But I want to take you back to Matthew chapter 3 for just a second here because John the Baptist has already addressed this point with them. John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3 verse 7. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. It's an interesting phrase, right? You're not born of Abraham, you're born of snakes. This is what he says to them. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Now that's an interesting phrase too, right? The coming wrath. Who is the coming wrath that John the Baptist is talking about? Well, technically it's Jesus. We don't tend to think of it that way, do we? But the reality of what Jesus is going to be in their presence is going to produce wrath. And it's going to bring judgment upon them, ultimately, based on how they do it. So the coming of Jesus is actually a bringing of the wrath, not because Jesus was filled with wrath, but because they refused to accept him. So he goes on. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Live according to your profession. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as, I as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. That ought to be a verse that you hold very dear to your heart. You know why? You don't literally have to raise your hand on this, but not many of you are Jewish, are you? You know what that means? You are stones who have been raised up to be sons of Abraham. You are Gentiles, excluded from the covenants, excluded from all of that stuff, but by the grace that came through Jesus, God raised up sons and daughters to Abraham from every tribe and nation and people on, on, on earth. That's us. I'm one of those stones that was raised up. So Jesus is setting up a point here. Verse 39, Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, <clears throat> then you would do what Abraham did. That's another thing you want to hang on to. If we are, in fact, stones raised up as sons of Abraham, daughters of Abraham, then we want to behave, well, maybe not exactly like Abraham and everything, but we want to be people of faith and people of trust. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. He's hinting at something here. And it's very close to what John the Baptist said about the brood of vipers. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. This statement is a not-so-subtle innuendo. Do you remember just a little bit earlier in this same chapter, verse 19, when Jesus is interacting with them? Then they asked him, 
where is your father? Do you remember we talked about the innuendo in this question? You see, you see, rumors remained about exactly where Jesus came from. You remember the story, right? The Holy Spirit came upon the Virgin Mary, and she was found with child. And it was a particularly surprising event for Joseph, the one who was to be her husband. And it took divine intervention for him to say, okay, I guess this is from the Holy Spirit. But that innuendo went on about the questions about where exactly did Jesus come from? Who is your father? And they make the statement here, we, as opposed to you, are not illegitimate children. This is an ugly little exchange, isn't it? This is a tense little back and forth that's going on. The only father we have is God himself. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own, God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. Wow. Brood of vipers. Sons of snakes. Your father, the devil. These are hard words. This is a hard exchange. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. We talked about this a little bit before as well. It's so easy to believe the liar and so hard to believe the truth. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? God said, you can eat of any of the trees of the garden, but just not this one. And all the liar had to do was come along and say, no, he doesn't want you to eat that because he knows when you do it, you'll be like God. And it's like, do I believe what God told me? But that lie sounds so good. It's easy to believe the liar. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. All right, this, is a, this theme here appears a lot. That God calls. That God speaks to each of us. And to each one of us that is open to hear the voice of God, we are able to respond. But when there's something in us that is fundamentally contrary to God's will for our lives, then we will resist the voice. And Jesus is saying, I represent something you don't want. Therefore, you resist any evidence that arises that proves who I am. And in fact, when we get to chapter 9, you're going to see that exact story play out. So here's the interaction. And in it, we keep hearing the term truth and lies. Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth, but you can't hear it because you want to believe the lies. 
It goes back to that phrase that Jesus will say and that appears in the book of Revelation. He who has an ear, let him hear. As if truth is discernible if we're truly willing to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That even the simple can be made wise. And that we don't have to live in confusion. So I go back to where we started here. John 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now let's reflect on this, this section here for a little bit. The purpose of truth is freedom. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the purpose of truth, and what Jesus is talking about here, is freedom. But don't misunderstand freedom. How many of you would agree that gravity is a truth? Is it a truth? Anybody want to go to the balcony and test it out? Gravity is a truth. But because I know gravity is a truth, does that mean I can now jump from the balcony and not fall to the earth? No, it's a reality. I accept it as a reality, and once I have accepted it as a reality, then I can function in the world because gravity is a truth. I just drove across the country. I drove on the right-hand side of the road most of the time. It drifted a little. But because I agreed to do that, and because other people agreed to do the same thing coming the other way, we accepted the truth that in America we drive on the right-hand side of the road. If I'd been in England, it would have been a problem. But because we have accepted that as a truth, I can drive a truck full of things all the way across the country with a reasonable expectation that I'm not going to run into anyone. It sets us free. But if there aren't truths like that in our lives, then we have chaos, then we have pandemonium, then we don't understand anything. Jesus is saying to them, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What he's saying is, if you hold to these teachings, if you live them out, you will be free. One of the key reasons for divine revelation is so that we can be free. Free from what? Free from ignorance. Free from stupidity. Free from harming ourselves. Free from, from bad choices. You see, it was the divine revelation of God to Israel that truly made them the special people. Uh, I'll give you a couple texts on this. Psalm, Psalm 147. Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. It says, He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. 
See, what made Israel so special was their relationship with God meant that God revealed to them the truth about life and living and what it took to live in this world that God had created. And this was their advantage. This was the massive advantage that Israel was given over the nations. And this is why God said, if you'll just do this, you guys will prosper like crazy. And they're like, yeah, but we don't really want to do that. And so when they didn't do it, they fell apart, just like all the other nations. But God revealed to them everything they needed. Let's go to another one. Psalm 19. You probably know these words quite well, and you may know them from King James, because many sang a song along this line when they were younger. But it goes like this. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The point here is God has given this revelation, and if you will believe it, if you will act according to what God has revealed, even those who are uneducated, unknowing, if you have learned what God has said, you will be blessed. The way to live is before you. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. He's talking about revelation. He's talking about what God has given us, this divine insight. When I say revelation, I'm not talking book of revelation. I'm talking the reality of God revealing to man his will. And if we will listen and live according to it, now here's the irony, maybe this is the twist you didn't expect. If we will listen and live according to it, we will be free. Oh, wait a minute. I thought freedom was I didn't have to live according to anything but what I wanted. Did you not hear what Jesus said? Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Do you want to be a slave to your impulses? Or do you want to live according to what God has said? This is, this is joy. This is freedom. This is how you do it. Stay on the right side of the road, and you can probably make it across the country safely. That's why the psalmist goes on and says, these things that God has given, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. One more. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Beginning in verse 5. See, I have taught you decrees and laws 
as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I am setting before you today? You see, God has revealed to us everything we need. And if we will but learn and obey, we will experience freedom. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. You see, you are a blessed people. Because not only do you have the record of the revelation that God gave Israel in what we call the Old Testament, you also have the story of Jesus in what we call the Gospels and the explanation of the story of Jesus in what we call the letters of Paul as well as prophecies related to the end times. You are an incredibly blessed people. John, uh, uh, Matthew 11, verse 11, what has just happened here is that is Jesus is teaching the people and John the Baptist has been put in prison and John's beginning to wonder, is this the plan? And so he sends disciples, his own disciples to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus gives the explanation, look around you, look at what's happening. And at this point, the disciples of John go away and Jesus makes this comment. You can almost see him looking off into the distance and he makes this comment. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now just stop there for a second. He's saying, this John the Baptist has done an amazing work. But now catch the end of this. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You see, Jesus comes and he declares the kingdom is at hand. And, and everyone that is to believe is going to come into this kingdom and the kingdom is going to be inaugurated when Jesus dies on the cross and then rises again on the third day. And what Jesus is saying is from John back, there were amazing people of faith. But the very least believer after them starts from where they stopped. Because every one of us is here after the work of Jesus is done. Every one of us is here able to understand the ultimate sacrifice that God was making through Jesus. We start at a point beyond where the prophets got. So the very least of us, from the standpoint of what we can know and understand, is greater than even John the Baptist, who was in a cell wondering, is this the plan? We know it's the plan. We've seen how it comes out. So what are we going to do with this knowledge? I want to take you to Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. This is what Jesus was trying to tell them. Listen to what I'm telling you. Believe and put your faith in me. No longer be a slave to sin, but live according to what I've told you and you will be free. What then? Verse 15. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and become, have become slaves to righteousness. You see, when you, when you turn away and turn to Jesus, he says, here is abundant living. Live like this and you will be free. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 18. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but, we, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. So, so what does this mean? Here's what this means. When you recognize Jesus for who he is, the Messiah prophesied in Scripture, the Son of God, 
the one sent as the Savior, when you put all of your hope in him, when you commit yourself to be his disciple and to follow after his teaching and leading, to accept the Holy Spirit into your mind and into your heart and align your life with that, on that day, you have become free for the first time. No longer slave. Now, if you try to just take teaching and law and so forth and, and force your life into it, you're not free. It's got to start with this faith in Jesus. And then a willingness to hear his voice. And then a will to act according to his spirit in your heart. You see, as the Old Testament said, they shall all be taught by God. God does not want to place some sort of external forced reality upon you. He wants to transform your heart so that your very will is in accordance with God. How do we learn it? There's a lot of ways to learn it. The law teaches. The law can instruct. But the law cannot say. We learn from it. We accept what God calls us to in each era that we live. And we live according to it. And what is the result when a people become like this? Well, Micah. It's always risky to choose a minor prophet for a sermon. You have to find it. There it is. Micah chapter 4. This is what happens. If we were to be a people here, do you remember Deuteronomy where he said, you were given all of these things and the nations of the world will look at you and say, wow, look at everything these people have. Well, you've been given even more because the least in the kingdom of God starts ahead of everybody before Jesus. This is what happens. If a people like this, like us, we're to live according to the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not rise up, will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods, but we will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever and ever. You see, when a people accept the calling of God and put their whole faith in Jesus and live according to everything that Jesus has given them, then they will be a happy people. They will be a prosperous people. They will be a people filled with joy. 
and the nations will stream to the door. That's what can be. But we have to want that. We have to want that more than we want the sin that would enslave us. Is that the kind of freedom we want? Sometimes we want freedom to mean free to do anything I want. Okay, I'll give you that. As long as you let your will be aligned with the Holy Spirit. Then yes, anything you want. But if you're at war with God or at war with the Spirit, that's not what freedom means. Because what you want will make you a slave. John 8, 31. We read it one more for the last time. And then we're going to sing some songs. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there is much that our hearts and minds need to understand that we can only understand by means of your Holy Spirit. Sometimes it sounds like we're saying two things here. The law can't save, but the law is important. Which is it? Which is it? Well, it's both. You have revealed to us many things. Lord, we don't want to waste our lives. We think we know what we want. Work on our hearts at a deep level that we might be faithful, that we might truly be your disciples, and that we might find out what freedom really is. In Jesus' name, amen.